I knew I this was worth making because I was like I had everything in the world telling me I shouldn't make it being like no you can't fund it no one wants to work on it like you you don't have the time you have a full-time job people are going to kick you out you're not a student and then like I wanted to make it badly enough I just did and it feel I feel so much more proud of this film than anything I made in film school my name is West Gibbons and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast you just heard part of my conversation with creative producer Kate Elizabeth We discussed how working at the Valley Folk has evolved her approach to filmmaking, shooting her first short film after film school, and how her thesis project gave her clarity and hope to her creative future. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 56 of the Tungsten Originals Podcast. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being on. I appreciate you doing this. This is the first time I've done like a Google Hangouts interview, but yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I haven't. I've never done this either. So oh, you know, perfect. Okay, we're doing it right. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll figure it out one way or another. Um, Kate, you're a producer, editor, and shooter, and many other hats that you wear currently at the Valley Folk, which is a fantastic sketch comedy YouTube channel. But before we talk about that, I want to talk about how you got into film making. In general, as I said before we were rolling, I listened to your episode of the Valley Cast and you talked about how you started off, you know, making stuff with your brothers and sisters when you were really young in like Sony Vegas, uh, which I feel like a lot of people started on to Sony Vegas. So where did that like I know a lot of people made, you know, films with their friends growing up and stuff. But like, where does that come from? Does your family like naturally creative and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So this will like lead into my other project, Atomic Werewolf, later. Um, But my dad, my dad is. So he never went into film, but he grew up making films on Super 8 cameras. And so he got me into cameras and like showed me how to use them. And so when I was 11, that's when he taught me how to edit in Sony Vegas. And then once I could edit, I could I was unstoppable, clearly. Right. Um, (laughs) And like so I started making these quick little videos and he would show me how to do like green screen effects. And I would film like I would I I think I've always been mimicking my dad's films. And so like (laughs) I saw old films of him like where he would do Superman scenes. So as a kid, I would put on a Superman cape and I'd balance (laughs) on a stool and like turn a fan on and I would do it in front of a blue wall and I'd key out the background with like clouds and stuff. Right. Uh, So, yeah, my dad's the one that definitely got me into filmmaking and taught me the basics of it. And then um, I like fell in love with like the music video industry and like the directors in that and so i started to try to make music videos and like i just went down that route right yeah okay gotcha so those like those superman videos that you were making when you were young (laughs) did you show them to people yeah yes and no so like i ran this like youtube channel for a while i think i had three youtube channels by the time i was like 13 (laughs) yeah and i was running one with my friends where we would only do sketches that i wrote Okay. And then I was running my own, and then I started vlogging. Nice. And it, it should never be released. Yeah, Some of same. it's still out there. <laughs> Half of it's taken down. Uh, but yeah, I would show them to my my parents, mm-hmm. and then I would post them on the internet, and people were watching them, and I was a little freaked out. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird <laughs> feeling. Was, it, it was really weird at that age to get like people watching my stuff, and I 
kind of fell in love with the attention a little bit. And so right. I started doing this like dare series I, for a while where people on the internet would dare me to do stuff. And it was very lame. Um, but that, but that interaction kept me going for a long time. And okay. then I kind of stopped that before school though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a good call. I continued yeah, YouTube I stuff like, into school and I wish yeah. I hadn't. So, um, <laughs> So when does that like love for making those videos and interacting with the audience like billow into I want to be a filmmaker professionally? Um, I think it was like I, I remember the first time I thought I wanted to be a director. We'll get it. <laughs> I'll cover that. But I was I was on a set for a music video that I got cast as an extra or something. And I saw this guy on a ladder like with the camera and like he was telling everybody what to do. And I was like, what is that? Who is that? What is he doing? And I literally was like, and someone was like, that's the director. And I was like, I want to be him. <laughs> like, right. And it was also like the issue of like, I'd look at college like degree requirements and I was like, I don't want to do any of this. Right. And then I'd see film and I'm like, I could do that. But I was so convinced that that wasn't a career. So I was like, no, like that's just me and my camera. That's not a career. And my parents were like, you're right. That's not a career. <laughs> <laughs> Please go to business school. Right, and, right. and I was like, eh. um, but I don't know. I, I've been making videos from 11 to 18. I didn't do mm -hmm. anything else. Yeah. Like I, it was just that thing of like, there's nothing else I want to do. So right. like, I don't know how to go to school for something else. So yeah, right. I was just like, this has to be it Like mm -hmm. in some capacity. I didn't know what, but I just knew maybe if I go to film school, I'd figure it out. Right. Okay. So I know you bounced yeah. from Indiana to Florida and then to LA for film school. So I bounced from Indiana to Illinois to Florida oh, right. to LA. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started my film degree in Illinois, but it was like a general film studies program. And it was, I didn't feel like that's when I was like kind of trying out film and it didn't challenge me enough, which told me like, oh, I still want to do this. I want to do more. Like I got to go to California. Like, so yeah, that's how I ended up here. What film school did you go to in LA? Um, well, I, go to, I went to a private university called Biola. So it's Biola University, but they have like a phenomenal film program. But the advantage was it was small. So like I always had access to gear, like always could do something. I wasn't in a long line or like having to get my camera insured or like, so yeah, it was a private school, but they had a really good film program. Okay. So was that move to LA scary? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I couldn't get into film school in a spring semester, which is why I moved to Orlando and worked at Disney World. To find myself, I think. <laughs> uh, and then I moved uh, I moved here and it was like, I had never been past St. Louis, I think, as far as oh, going west. Wow. Like, I'd never been here. I didn't visit the campus. I didn't know anyone. I just got in and was yeah. like, I'm going to go. Yeah, so that's I, a leap like, of faith. Yeah, I just packed all my stuff in my car and just drove out here and was like, guess I live here now. <laughs> like, <laughs> here I am so in yeah, one of the it, biggest yeah. cities. I kind of had that little safety net of college, though, which is why yeah. I did it through school. Like, I told myself I wanted to move to L.A., but I don't think I could have ever done that without college. I was like, this is right. going to give me like an instant like I could live in a dorm. I can meet people and then I can move out. So it was like a, it was a safe move, but it was also still terrifying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like you have a buffer before you're like fully yeah. in L.A. kind of. Exactly. I was like a little bit in Orange County, so I could just go into L.A. and then run right out of it. <laughs> right. OK, nice. So you get to film school and you have access to this equipment and like, you know, great professors and stuff. And yeah. was your world just like opened up? 
oh yeah it was yeah. like a shock because yeah. like we had like maybe two dslrs at my last school like, oh, wow. and then i i walked straight into class and it's like here's a red camera yeah. go make something yeah and one of the first projects i think this is very telling one of my first projects i did so i was a junior transfer but i was in a freshman class called visual aesthetics which is just solely about how beautiful film is right uh, but as a junior <laughs> i had the right to rent out a red camera and freshmen didn't and we we got tasked to make like a three minute silent film. So I found the other juniors in my class and I was like, do you want to rent the red and make the dumbest thing you've ever seen in your life? Yeah. And they were like, absolutely. So that was my first film out here it was called Party at Eight. And it's the story of a horse, a.k.a. a guy in a horse mask. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> that literally like he just you just follow him the whole film. And at the end, we did an 80s dance sequence with a other group of people in animal rubber animal masks. And it's like cinematically, it's it's gorgeous. Right. Right. Like it's the dumbest thing you'll ever watch, though. <laughs> yeah. And I just like turned that in for a grade. And then it ended up playing in my school's film festival. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so, yeah, so I had all this equipment like just handed to me and I had no idea what I was doing. But like and then students like I'd never heard of a student set. I had never been like on a mock set. Like I usually just got my friends together to make something. And all of a sudden they're like, what role are you on set? What do you do? And I think at this film school, it was the first time like people were just coming up to me and being like, but what do you do? Like, what are you mm. in film? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I, I like to make films. And they were like, yeah. And what we do all you do? do. <laughs> right. And like, so yeah, out here is where I really figure out where my place in a film was rather than just like, I like to make films. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So I know in that Valleycast episode, you said you're primarily a, a, a writer producer. How long yeah. did it take to come to that decision that those were the roles that you wanted to stick to? A very long time. <laughs> yeah. So when I got here, I was clueless and would take any job anyone would give me. But then I landed on like, you know, I must want to be a director because I like being in charge. And that's what I And then I would go be a director and I would get so anxious and I'd like hate myself. <laughs> and I'd be like, this is the worst. Like, who does this as a career? Right. Like, this is awful. <laughs> who and enjoys like, this? Yeah. And like, I mean, I haven't hated all the sets I directed. I love to direct when it's my own writing. But like, I was just like, like this is a solid career like it isn't me but like I couldn't find something that did feel like me um and so I did my whole junior year like that and I did half my senior year feeling like that and then my last semester of my senior year is when you turn in your senior thesis project and I was in a class and someone gave a presentation on creative producing and I was just sitting there and I was like floored I was like <laughs> that's a job yeah I was like because I I because I knew I loved bringing people together I could always tell which people should be on a project mm -hmm. I and creative producers are all always writers and I was like I love right. writing I love bringing people together I love overseeing everything but I hate <laughs> touching the budget like I was like <laughs> yeah, this right. is beautiful <laughs> like I was like I gotta do this so then I started like producing my own things and um, I took quite a turn my senior year because all of a sudden like animation like caught my eye and it felt <laughs> kind of weird and random. Yeah. Um, I think it's because of, uh, you know, Olin Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's a huge inspiration. I, I, I should backtrack to my childhood and say Mike Falzone and Olin Rogers are the reason I do what I do. Really? Um, wow. I met the, I met them both at a very young age mm -hmm. and they both encouraged me to do this. Um, wow. But, Anyway, we, we can go back to that. But yeah. um, Olin Rogers, like, I was so amazed by him because he he does whatever he wants. Right. He's just like, I'm a director. I can own a shop. Like, I can sell soda. I can 
I can produce an animation. And so I'd already liked the animation and I was like, he can do it. I can do it. And no one at my school, we don't have an animation program at my school. And I didn't know any animators. I didn't know anything about the animation process. But for some reason, I didn't want to waste my senior thesis on another short film. So I was like, I know like if I do a short film, that's not going to further what I want to do. So I decided like, a month before my last semester, I'm going to produce an animated television series. And, I, and everybody, like, I got a lot of crap for it. People yeah, laughed sure. at me. They were like, she'll, she'll change that real fast. That's yeah. not going to happen. And they're like, they're like, do you know animation? I was like, no. Uh, but, I, but I knew that I wanted it. So I was like, it's going to happen. And so through some friends at my college, I'm a, like a very like talented animator and I like was on his Instagram and he's, he mainly like posts photos of like drawings and stuff. But um, so I was on his Instagram and I hadn't contacted him yet. And I saw this photo of this kid riding like a space bike. And it was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And I'm a very visual person. So I saw it and instantly was like, I could think of an entire story for that. And so I DM'd him and we started talking and I was like, would you give me the rights to your artwork if I gave your artwork a story? If I gave it like life in a way. Yeah. yeah. And we hit it off and we started talking and like it, it, it was a it was a beneficial thing for both of us. He was like, I've never had someone want to like take an image I've drawn and turn it into something. And then I was like, and I don't have and I can't draw. You're so right. <laughs> I was like, this is going to work out. So, yeah, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I've got me and I've got this guy animating for me and it's just going to work out. And it took four months and I wrote this little story called Starcatcher. It's about this kid named Cliff who lives in about 100 years from now during this event that uh, is called the Kessler Catastrophe, which is a real thing that's happening in space right now where all the space junk we've launched up there is starting to spin faster and faster. And it's and it's creating a metal barrier around the Earth. And so my in my world, there was an event that pushed it over the edge. And now, like all satellite communication is gone and like it's very Mad Max, but like like kind of like a teenager living in Mad Max. Yeah. So I for my I I wrote a pitch bible basically for it. I outlined the first season and I wrote an 8 minute animatic and so I have an 8 minute storyboard animatic of it with like full sound design and voice acting and then I have a season outline and then like a whole concept bible for it and I'm still currently writing the first season of it. So it worked out. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I got a standing ovation at my senior showcase wow. which like shook me. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, and once I pulled it off, I realized it's like I want to write and I want to produce. It's probably Probably going to be in comedy and animation and but I it was just that weird feeling of like I've spent four years in film school and then I get down to the final months and I'm like this is it I found it like I found what I want to do and like I feel inadequate in it all the time but I'm like it doesn't matter because if I want it bad enough like I'll get it done right right absolutely so yeah. I mean, I feel like that's just the best timing. You couldn't have gotten it at a better moment, you know? Yeah. Um, so, like, how many other people worked on it other than you and the animator? Yeah, so not a lot. Like, I mm -hmm. had probably a team of, like, five or six people total. Wow. I'm trying to think. Like, I, I wrote it and then directed it and then in, and co-produced it with another producer who helped me. And then I had a casting director and then two voice actors came in. And then I had an editor that edited the animated animatic after my my animator would like mostly send it to me fluid but there was like for timing and voice acting and then I had a sound designer so like yeah probably five or six people worked on it in total and it's and it took about four months yeah wow okay so um how was like 
How did you have to change your creative process from making something live action to animation? Because like, I mean, you have to, it's not like you're on set, you know, your, your on set is like in a vocal booth, you know? So like, what was the process of like building that character and then like directing the voice actors? Yeah, it was, it was weird. And it's, it's why I love animation. It's a lot easier and it's a lot harder. <laughs> right. Like yeah, very, absolutely. Yeah. What I love about animation is that like every time I've written a script for live action, I'm constantly thinking about the budget and I'm constantly like, I can't write that in there because I can't afford that. <laughs> and so like I had never been able to like write something knowing that I could write whatever I wanted and it could just be on screen. It could be drawn. And so that was like it was very freeing to work on animation because you have all these limitless boundaries. But it was also very, very hard because I only had one person that could animate like and I'm so used to being able to jump in and help so like animation's very very tedious um, it's very controlled and it's tedious and while you get to like do whatever you want it also makes you a little bit picky and you might want to like it, it, I had to like let things go a lot I had to like be like approving storyboards and I'd be like no it's not quite that no it's not quite that and it's like okay well if you change that scene one more time we're a week behind and I was like that's fair <laughs> so writing was definitely easier it was very challenging like asking the animator to do certain things for me because it's just such a it's such a unique skill and I felt so bad like making someone do that for me um Directing the voice actors was super fun. It, that's the that was probably the most similar to live action I've had when they were in the booth because they were just having a heyday with it. And the guy that played Cliff, um, when he was like on the space bike, he was in the the booth like pretending to ride a bike and like shaking his body violently. And it was so that's fun. a good voice actor. Yeah, he was phenomenal because I'm a very physical person when I direct, so I'm like yeah. like this, and I'm just like shaking, <laughs> and, and he's like, oh, I got it, and like, um, yeah. So in a way, it's it's uh, more freeing to write for animation. It's you, your creativity can go a lot farther for a lot cheaper. Um, but it's it's very meticulous and time consuming. Like I mean, it took four months to make eight minutes. You know, like we we drew it frame by frame, and it's still not a fluid animation. It's not even only pieces of it are, are in color. So it's one of the things. It's gonna take well way longer than live action. But when you watch it back, like. It was so satisfying to see, like watch, like watching it back. I've never felt that proud over anything. And so I was like, this, I got to do this. Right. So whenever you get to your, like, once you have that realization that you want to be a creative producer, let's say like in a theoretical world, like what if you were given like an unlimited budget for a live action thing? <laughs> Would you still have chosen to do an animation? See, yeah, it's it's hard because I still do love live action. Um, I think I'll continue to do it, but I, I think, especially through that animation, I found that I'm a more of a, a series person. So if I go into live action, it's going to be television. It's going to be episodical. Um, I've worked on feature film sets. I've interned. I've PA'd, PA'd and I'm like, it ain't it. <laughs> it ain't for me. And that usually yeah. makes you think you're not a film person because you're like, this is a feature film. Like, why don't I love this? And then you find what you you find that niche and you're like i love this and i still love live action comedy uh, i mean look at me yeah uh, uh, here we are <laughs> my, my, my career is still like in comedy and producing comedy but like animation is just so closely tied to me now that like yeah if it was a full feature movie and they made me pick i would definitely animate it if it was 
either animation or live action, I'd go animation all the way. You you talked about your inspiration with Olin Rodgers and Mike Falzone. I want to uh, yeah. jump back into that and how that came up. Um, so I'm like a product of of YouTube. Like that's where I discovered yeah. filmmaking was on YouTube. Are you? Do you have a similar story? Yeah. Like yes and no. Like I did for a while, but then I fell off the YouTube radar for years throughout college. So. Um, from okay, so it's like really important. Like, is comedy and film are so closely tied together for me. Like, I can't have one without the other at this point. So when I was like fifteen, I went on a YouTube sub box tour where Mike Falzone was performing musical comedy, and that's where I met him for the first time. And he, I, I, I was, a, I was a YouTube kid, but only like three YouTubers, and I wouldn't watch anybody else. Like, I would watch I Mike Olin. And like Tessa Violet and like nothing yeah, else. Yeah. <laughs> um, and ironically enough, I watched Philip DeFranco, but I never watched SourceFed. <laughs> That's hilarious. Wow. So it, like, I did not click on that crap. Um, That's so but, funny. Yeah. So <laughs> Mike, Mike, Mike really drew me in because this guy was making videos, walking around his neighborhood, just talking. And I was dying. And I was like, that's like pure talent when you're doing nothing and it's so good. And then Olin was making small little scaled productions that were like hilarious and like funded and like put on YouTube. And so I kind of got like tied into both of them. And so I saw Mike on tour and met him. And then that was when I was 15. And then I met Olin when I was 18 in Nashville, when he opened the soda parlor, I went to like one of their private events and both of those guys when I've seen them again, like when I moved out here, remembered me, which was just like the sweetest thing ever. Like, so for me, when I moved out here, I realized, oh, I could go to Mike Falzone's stand-up shows. And I was like, nice. And so I started going to his shows and best believe he starts remembering me because I'm always there. Right. And um, which leads into how I got my job, which is I was at one of Mike's shows and Elliot opened for him. And I started talking to him after the show and just kind of hit it off and I didn't know anything about him didn't know he was from SourceFed (laughs) um, and so when I got home like I was like looking through Twitter and like Mike had retweeted Elliot and I was like oh it's that guy and then I was like oh he's got a following and I saw them like announcing the Valley Folk and I just kind of was like I gotta be a part of that like I don't know why I just have to be um, so I like tracked down their emails like a psychopath and um, sent Steve my email. Like I think I sent it to all four of the members at the time and mm-hmm. Steve is the one it got through to and he saw my resume and I was like shopping one day and walking around the mall and Elliot called me and I was like confused. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> this is Elliot too. Morgan. And I was like, who? Yeah. I was like, I'm sorry, who? And I just, this is that one sentence that I remember this day when he was telling me, like, it's very sweet that you like offered to work for us and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I was expecting rejection. And he was just like, do you have a camera? And I was like, y- yeah. And he's like, can you edit? And I go, uh-huh. And he goes, can you start Friday? And I was like, okay. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So like, that was like the call that like changed my entire career. So started interning for them at a, out of an Airbnb in North Hollywood and like, I was like, this might be the dumbest thing I've ever done because there's two grown men that I have no idea who they are waiting for me in an Airbnb in Hollywood. And um, right. I this could this could be the end of the beginning. So <laughs> yeah, Right, exactly. Wow. Yeah. So like what do you think fifteen year old Kate would say knowing that like you now work, you know, closely with these people that you looked up to? I mean, I know Mike has come and, you know, been on your show and stuff like that. Yeah. Like does that kind of blow your mind? 
Yeah, it did for a while. Like I remember the very first time that since I'd seen him at his stand up sets that I was at the office working and they're like, oh, Mike's coming in today. And I literally like froze. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> like it was like unreal. And I'm pretty sure like my whole interaction with him was like insanely painful because <laughs> it was like the first interaction I had that like wasn't outside of some comedy club. It was just like, you're in my office, we're hanging out and like I about shut down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was like for a long time, it's, it's super surreal. And like, you just, you, it kind of, you get a little numb to it after a while. I've had like, two or three of those where like I think the big ones for me was working with Mike for the first time and then being like oh I could text him if I wanted to and I go right, <laughs> right. um cool awesome yeah <laughs> yeah 15 year old me would have like like no way they would have been like that's not real that's not like something that happens um and then like my other big one was like uh grace helbig when she like i I watched grace helbig religiously as a teen and they're like i heard elliot came in my office he's like hey my girlfriend's here if you want to say hi and my brain goes no (laughs) absolutely not and it took everything in me when she's like hi i'm grace to not be like i know like right yeah (laughs) but yeah so it's it's surreal but the shell shock wears off after a while And I keep meeting these people and I'm like, my brain will like register it for a second and be like, oh, this is big. And then I'm like, right on. Like, and then it's just your job. It's definitely cool. And then it's just my job. Yeah. It, I mean, I got that for the longest time. Like, what's it like working with them? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm busy. (laughs) Yeah. And now it's just my job. And it was magical. I was like, I, well, I lucked out extremely. I was working for them by the end of my junior year in college. So I was going to classes at 8 a.m. and then driving out to North, like North Hollywood in the Valley and like working till 7 p.m. and then driving an hour and a half home. I was commuting over two two hours each way. Um, And like, I mean, I definitely lost part of my college experience because of that. Um, But to me, it was worth it. I struck out. I was the I was the YouTube girl on campus. I was out like I was like, what am I doing? Like, (laughs) But yeah, it's it is so worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about how working at the Valley Folk has affected your approach to filmmaking, because I mean, the thing about working there is like y'all are making you know, a myriad of content, like you were editing and shooting the podcast, like, you know, y'all have your show out yonder, like all these different things that are so different to like live action short films. Has your approach to like producing and writing evolved in any significant way after working there? Oh, yeah, like for sure. Like it was kind of interesting, like they brought me in I was like the first employee and like I was so anti-YouTube by that point really it was kind of nice for them yeah it was kind (laughs) of nice for them because uh they didn't want to be YouTube like they didn't want to do YouTube style content so I was a little bit of a voice of reason of like no that's cheesy cut it out um but then you know I also didn't understand YouTube and how it worked and I learned real fast and then um my coworker Kev- Kevin Plackey um is very YouTube so it, like the result of the videos that you saw come out within the first year was a, a really weird breed of like Kevin's YouTube and like my anti and like film and so you were getting these weird videos that were coming out of it and it was like absolutely magical but yeah like we work on a very fast pace and the turnaround has really pushed me like like to be like all right roll and cut and that's it keep going and I'm like oh my god like (laughs) so it's 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 helped 
it's hell like sometimes like like i mean I, i'll remember i never forget like especially at the beginning i was like such a quality control freak and i had joe would come in my office all the time he'd be like you have to like let go like you gotta like he would call it killing babies when i was making edits he'd be like you gotta let go he's like you can't control all of this like sometimes we have a deadline and we don't have we can't make it better and he's like and that's youtube and i was like no because like my film <laughs> yeah. student thing was like no 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 i'll just push it and i'll push it and i'll make exactly. it better and i'll do this and the yeah so well it, it, it helped me let go and like not try mm-hmm. to perfect everything i can turn stuff around very quickly now i'm sure i think this this week i got 10 hours of footage and i turned it i turned it around in three days and i was like i <laughs> wow. could have not done that before <laughs> yeah. i worked here yeah yeah i wow. was like no way um it's a yeah, and so I'm really thankful for it because I think I've I've landed in that weird middle territory that's kind of unique where I've got this really serious background because my degree is a cinematic production degree. And so I've got this whole knowledge of film and the way it should work. And then I've got this other side of like shooting the most insane things you've ever seen and pumping them out like crazy. And like I, I think whatever my my own style, my own content that I'm hopefully putting out this year is gonna turn into like a weird hybrid from it. Yeah. 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 I, I mean I think I think one of the main positives about YouTube and just like, you know, online content that has like quick turnarounds where you have to, you know, kill your darlings as we're told, is that like <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the quickest way to make you better because like when it comes to shorts, like you can spend three months like figuring out if you should cut at this frame or this frame and you like yeah. you think it's becoming super better, but it's like, you know, the law of diminishing returns, you're not getting a lot back for that time. So like then yeah. with that quick turnout experience, like when it comes to long term projects, like you just know how to do it more efficiently, I feel like. Yeah. Exactly. And I feel like my job here at the Valley Folk has like taught me more of a probably at least equal to, if not more than I've learned in film school. For like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like there, my experience here and my degree that I paid way too much money for yeah. are like equal. And I'm <laughs> <Right>. like, dang. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard reality. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Let's talk about The Atomic Werewolf. You just finished um, production for that. It's your first short post-film school. Can you explain what the story's about? Okay, so this will relate back to my father, who is the reason I do film. So since he is the reason I do film, I've always wanted to make something for him. And he has all these old Super 8 films that he shot when he's like um, teens and early 20s. And I've like gone through them and he, when he had them digitized. And I found I've always wanted to make a monster movie, too. So I'm like super into monster films um, and then love my dad. So he has this film that he made called The Atomic Werewolf. That was the name of his film. So he made that in 1977. And it's a 20 minute Super 8 film. And it's like the dumbest thing you've ever seen, but like, it's very impressive for its time. And, um, I just been waiting to find the right film of my dad's to inspire one of my films. Cause the longest time the plan was to make a film in, in, and hide my dad's footage throughout it. Like I was, oh, go- I'd been cool. planning for years, for years and years, I was going to make a monster movie and like try to hide my dad's stuff in it. And then it, and once I found the atomic werewolf, I found it like about a year ago and I was like, no, I'm going to make a film about this. So I, that my atomic werewolf is, a is, my dad and his friends making their short film in the 70s so yeah it's so it gets confusing when i'm like saying the atomic werewolf and they're like which one Um, (laughs) 
So yeah, it's kind of like a, it's a weird, like, it's kind of like a satire of my dad's mm. film. So it's my own commentary <laughs> on his work. And it's also like a love letter. It's, uh, it was super fun. It's my, the dumbest thing I've ever done on a low budget to decide to make a period piece set in a different state <laughs> while living in California. Um, yeah. Good on Not me. Not the cheapest thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, so it's my dad and the three of his best friends in high school making this short film called The Atomic Werewolf where a scientist gets infected with werewolf blood and goes on like a mad killing spree in the woods. Um, you don't see too much of them making the film. Like you don't see their film too much. I did a couple like fake outtakes of his footage. Um, but it's it's super special because some of my dad's original film like is in my film. Um, and it, like it opens up on a stop motion film that he made when he was like 15 and i it's a star trek stop motion film so oh, cool. i like had to track down all the original star trek figurines that he used and so like you watch my dad's stop motion with narration that i wrote and then it kind of cuts out of the stop motion film and you see my dad making it and it wow. like just goes out from there yeah um it's kind of a dark comedy. It's not as dark as my usual stuff is. It's a little more lighthearted, but mm -hmm. um, it's just <laughs> these giant dorks making a monster <laughs> movie, and it goes terribly wrong. That's and perfect. And I did actually get to shoot on real Super 8 for this film, for parts of it. So certain scenes are in Super 8, and like um, it's really, really cool is a lot of the props and pieces, like the main Super 8 camera that they're carrying around the whole time is my dad's camera. Um, and then like, there's a projector in the room at one point that's playing back the super eight and then a, a little editing bay. And that's also all by dad's gear from the seventies. Like, so I, and I hid photos of like my parents and my mom throughout the, like mm. the set and like, yeah. So it's super, super important to me. And like, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it's coming out. So we're in post now. So we're going to see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what did like, whenever you told your dad, you know, what you were going to do with his footage and stuff, like what were your parents' response? So it's been a secret. <laughs> oh, I see. He had no I idea I was making it. So the way I covered my tracks was I went home a couple times over the past year that I've been producing this film. And I would be like, I really like he gave me a Super 8 camera and I've always had it. And I'm like, I'm going to make a film using this. or I'm going to put it in the film. So I already had the camera. And then I came home with some excuse like I might shoot something on Super 8 that that's cool. Like maybe I could get your projector in your editing bay. And he was like, yeah, I guess. And then. All, he was getting a little sketchy because I kept asking him questions about the 70s and what was your friend like? Like, you know, like, was he into film? Like, what did he act like? Like, and I just kept asking him about his friends in the 70s and like asking to, him to digitize his films and like, can I get that sent over on a Google link? And I was just th trying desperately to throw him off his tracks. And like I had him for a while where he just knew I was shooting on Super 8 and he didn't know what I was doing. And it was so heartbreaking because I went home for Thanksgiving and he was like, have you made anything that I could like watch? And I was like, no, nah, I'm super uninspired right now. <laughs> I was like, just just, you know, making Valley Folk content, haven't had time. Meanwhile, I was like texting my other producer if a location right. came through. And like, <laughs> yeah. And so I hid it from him for a long time. And my mom knew my dad didn't. Um, I actually went back to his childhood home in, in Indiana while I was there over a break and shot the exteriors. Wow. Um, yeah, so it, it was crazy. And I actually revealed the film to him for Christmas, which was I had my poster that I've had designed blown up and I put summer 2020 on it. And it was the cutest thing ever. He opened it and he got so excited because he thought I had made a movie poster for his film. 
And he was like, oh, you made a poster for Atomic Werewolf. <laughs> and then I was like, I just let him sit for a second. And yeah, then he yeah. goes, summer 2020, what? <laughs> and then he's like, just lost it. Absolutely yeah. lost it because it connected because he was like, are you are you remaking it and he like lost his mind and he had a photo album i'd given him with stills from the shoot and like the screenshot of like how much money we had raised and he got so excited he went and contacted like the original people that my characters are based off of and like told them all about it and he's like if it gets if it gets into a film festival in the midwest he's gonna get the whole gang back together and go see it wow wow that is (laughs) really special yeah yeah I'm pretty happy about it. <laughs> yeah, you should be. So what's your um like distribution plan for like with festivals and stuff like that? Like what's your dream you know, for it? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> My dream was to make it. So it's kind of yeah, it's kind of uh, yeah. weird for me like I mean I did think about that this time cuz I haven't especially at since school I haven't started from scratch and built a film and then like had a plan for it and even in school I was making them for school. So this was the first time I took it a bit more seriously, but um, I'm going to I want to do a festival run with it. It won't be done for a couple months because we have some VFX in it. Um, But yeah, my plan is literally just to be like, I made this. It's mine. I'm so proud of it. It's for my dad. And then try to do a festival run with it for as long as I can and then just release it. (laughs) Right. Because I think I mean, that's the thing about film school is like you're just turning it into your teacher and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah i have to do something with this <laughs> yeah this is the first time i've been like i'm not gonna post it i'm gonna do a festival run i guess yeah, yeah. so how was making a film outside of like the you know the infrastructure of film school better or worse than doing it inside that infrastructure it was you know both <laughs> right there yeah was like, yeah no one over so like at my school like every time you had a bigger project like that you were signing paperwork you were chasing people down to approve it you were like it was a lot easier to get a crew when you were in film school though because you know it's assumed everyone works for free um and everyone's your friend and like i actually tried once in school to make the atomic werewolf and I got way too busy with the Valley folk and I couldn't pull it off. Um, but it was going to happen during film school. And I had like 30 people on board. Like no one was making a werewolf movie in film school. All you need, like, your script doesn't even have to be good. If it's just weird and different, people want in. That's so, very true. <laughs> I had a huge team for it and like unlimited access to cameras and it didn't work. And so it was a way bigger struggle to make it outside of film school it's like instantly like you're on your own you got to get your gear you got to fund it you got to hope to god your friends still want to make it (laughs) so i ended up having about two people left over from from my film school that could even make the time to be a part of it and then i launched my fundraiser for it on gofundme because i was like i'm so clueless um but maybe this will work and I honestly expected to make like a hundred dollars. Like, <laughs> I was like, no one's going to just right. like, it was such a con like a weird concept in my head. I was like, people aren't just going to give me money. Like no one wants to, like, I'm not a film student. No one cares anymore. Um, <laughs> and I was overwhelmed by the response that I got for it. Like I literally like was going to ask for 800. Cause I like thought in my head, I'm pretty thrifty. I could do it for $800. And then like, I just bumped it. I, but then as soon as I launched the campaign, I made $300 in an hour and I was like, crap. Yeah. <laughs> and so I changed the limit to a thousand and I hit the fundraising goal in five days. Wow. And 
And then people kept donating after that. And so I think the final was like $1,300, which isn't a lot for a film. But like right. what I had planned, it, I, it was more than enough because all the original Super 8 gear and pieces I need, I already owned. And I had just leased a new apartment, so I converted it into a set. And like I was good. Like I was so set. Um, finding locations outside of college is terrible. Uh, you're not a student. They don't want you there or they want to, you to pay thousands of dollars to uh, breathe in their property. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's why I shot interiors in my own house. And then I tried to get a film permit for a park and it kept falling through. And so like when we shot the outdoor scene, uh, it was gorilla style. There you go. And it was terrifying. Yeah. And it worked out. We didn't get arrested. But I was so concerned because what? I was just beating myself up for writing a scene in the woods right. at night where people are screaming and falling down hills. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll draw some attention for sure. Yeah. Really funding things, getting gear, getting a crew. Everything is just so much harder. That's why I'm like in film school, make as much as you can and learn how to pull it off. But it's always going to be harder. Um, but I'm I'm so happy that I did it. And um, yeah, I yeah, it's, it's just yeah, it's harder. But it's it's so much more gratifying. Like, I don't know, like when I make it in film school, you yeah, you're like you turn it in and you're like, did I hit the guidelines or like, did my class like it? And this time it was like, I knew I this was worth making because I was like, I had everything in the world telling me I shouldn't make it being like, no, you can't fund it. No one wants to work on it. Like you, you don't have the time. You have a full-time job. People are going to kick you out. You're not a student. And then like, I wanted to make it badly enough. I just did. And it feel, I feel so much more proud of this film than anything I made in film school. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congrats on it. I mean, that's really special and I'm glad that it all, you know, landed where it needed to land. Thank um, you. So I asked for questions on the Tungsten Originals uh, Instagram and Twitter, and we got a couple submissions, and I want to hit you with a couple of those now. The first one came from Maxwell on Twitter. He asked, how high a priority is set experience and set morale? Her sets seem so fun, and I was wondering if that is something that she considers when going into production. Oh, yeah. Like, for me, I've always said, like, that kind of goes back to, like, how you treat your cast and crew, kind of, like, well build morale and like for me it's kind of the same thing when I host a party I'm like if if people aren't having a good time I oh oh it kills me so like <laughs> right. with my sets I thrive on guilt and um for me I couldn't pay actors or crew like the money was to buy equipment and d set design and then take care of my cast and crew because they're not getting paychecks so right. like I was like you know all your gas is reimbursed and like what do you want for dinner and like uh for me like the way I treat people on my set is oh it's everything because I've had people that I've known that are just the like most talented directors I've ever seen and then I get people coming back from their sets and they're like I hated it or like you'll see like a really good film and then I talk to the crew and they're like worst experience of my life <laughs> yeah and yep. I'm like geez and like they're like would never work with them again and like I'm like oh my god and for me I'm like these people took like a nine hours out of a whole day and like they're like making my passion project especially like this one was so personal to me when I like had everybody there working on it like I was just like trying to direct and then I'd get so distracted being like, have you eaten? Do you need anything else? Do you have any allergies? Do you need something from Crafty? Would you like a water bottle? And they're just like, that's not your job. Chill. But like you're only as like you're only as good as your cast and crew. And like if they're 
mistreated or like having a bad time you're gonna have a bad film and like that's just basic human ethics too like 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 it's like I've done sets and I've been mistreated and I've been like I've I've been like ignored on sets and like made to feel like I wasn't there but like would be playing such a vital role that like I'm like these people are like the life and blood of your film you need to have a good time like you need <laughs> and I, I I I don't like to take things too seriously either because I've done I've seen directors like look like they're about to murder someone because they didn't get a good shot and I'm like there's a fine line between making good art and just being a dick yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I can say that but no you can I agree completely <laughs> yeah I agree completely because like, like at the end of the day we're just making movies you know yeah and I'm like this is I'm like if at any point you stop having fun it's not worth it and I said that to like my production designer because she put in so much work on this film and we were getting really really stressed about something and we didn't know which way it was gonna go and I go if we start hating this like it's not going to be worth it. And I was like, we have to just be like, whatever happens, happens. Like I'm making films, like half of it is like not, it's there's the end result you get. And then there's like the memories you have from making it. And they're just as equally important. And I was like, I do not want people. I want people to look back at being on my sets and be like, Oh, I had so much fun on that. That was right. insane. Right. Like, not like even more than like, Oh, it was a good film. Like, just yeah, be I like, think that's oh, a higher I remember compliment. working in there. Yeah. I think that's a higher yeah. compliment for sure. So I'm glad someone thinks my sets look fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. We do fun things. We yes. make we make TikToks in between takes <laughs> and throw people down hills. It's a good time. Right, right. It's a good time. Um, so several people asked about your inspirations and motivations for your art, and someone specifically said yeah. like your biggest inspiration at this very moment. Oh yeah, that's that's hard. Um, <laughs> I've got two people probably. So for like, I, I would say Olin Rogers still like, he still gets me. So like, <laughs> that's one of those things where you think they're going to fade out because, but he's changed with the times and it's like always struck my interest. And I really, really want to work for his animation studio that he's starting and I've got, and I've gotten noticed by him. So we're going to see. There you but, go. Um, just Olin. So Olin Rogers is definitely my biggest inspiration because like he was like me questioning everything he was doing creatively. And instead of just being like, I don't know what to do. He just did all of it until it stuck. And like, that's always been so big. And he's also never like lost how kind he is and how fun he is. So creative wise and like the art that I mimic and the art that I aspire to, to make um, for animation and like scripted content is Olin. Um, the other, the other person, oh, I'm not going to cry. Um, the other person is my very, very, very dear friend, Lee Newton. Um, she, she is like my role model out here. She is my mentor. I do not know what I would do without her, but she definitely rules me in the world of comedy and she's hilarious live performance <laughs> yeah and be for me she's so important she um uh, she's my inspiration for being a female in comedy because mm. i not only consider myself a producer and writer and like a filmmaker i consider myself a woman in comedy right um and it's one of the hardest things i've ever had to do mm. <laughs> is, is admit that, that i was a woman in comedy right um but she she's my big so olin definitely rules me creatively and like what i could aspire to make and then lee Lee tells me like who I can be in mm. that. And like, um, and like, I, I don't think there's a single project I've worked on that she hasn't come in and like said something on it. Or like every time, every single time I've doubted myself with a script, she'll just grab me and be like, do you know who you are? 
Like, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So people like that are so important. Yeah, um, 100%. But yeah, those would be my those would be my two people. Gotcha. I mean, you've worked very closely with Lee. Was there one singular piece of advice that she gave you that has just like fully stuck with you? Oh, man. Oh, gosh, she's given me so much. Like, even just <laughs> yeah, this sure. past, like, I've... I've like gone crying to her house like a couple times this past month and she's just like, ah. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are kind of like, not, I don't know if these are her exact words, but it's advice that I emanate to people. And like, this is basically her thesis statement. And like, I kind of preach what she does too. And like, it's, it's so, and she's like, I know how hard it is to be the only woman sitting in a room full of men. And like, um, and like, we've both been in a situation where our, we've pitched scripts and they've been talked over or the next day they've mm. been stolen. Mm. Um, and it's just how it goes. And so me and her both like something we always say, we're like, I'm like, don't talk yourself out of the rooms you've earned the right to be in. Um, mm. That has happened to me so many times. And I, I, I will say that till I die. Like I, like there's a lot, like a lot of this industry, especially for like women is made to make you feel like, you're not supposed to be there and mm. your ideas aren't as good. And like, I've literally, I literally wrote a script one time and I pitched it somewhere and someone pitched it as their own the next day. Wow. And I was so shocked that that had happened. I said right. nothing. And if I had said something, like, I don't know if I, it, I, it just felt like everyone in the room was on their side. And I was like, if I say something like I'm going to like, they're going to think like I'm crazy, like, and it's just not going to work for me. Um, but yeah, she's just taught me to really protect yourself. And like, if you, you know, you know how, only you know how good you are. Only you know, you know what you can do. And if you've worked for something your whole life, like even me, like I worked so hard to be at the Valley Folk and I've had moments of like, I'm very talented and I deserve this. And like the first time something happens to me, I'll convince myself that like, I'm an, I have like, oh, everybody does. Like I have insane imposter syndrome. Like, mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I'm like, I don't know why I'm here. I shouldn't be allowed to be here. And like, it's just that kind of thinking like, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, just don't talk yourself out of the rooms you've earned the right to be in. Like you, some things you do earn and you have the right to do and you're talented and you can stick up for yourself. Um, don't, don't let other people tell you how, how good you are. Like only, you know what you can do. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fantastic advice for anyone who wants to pursue like anything creatively. I think that's great. I want to go back to your mindset whenever you were graduating film school, um, or even just making the jump to film school from Florida. What fears did you have about graduating? And how do you look back on those fears now as someone who has like right. had a career and is working professionally? I have been terrified for 23 years. <laughs> so, Same. <laughs> um, like, it never goes away. It's it's very hard. So, like, obviously, like, you start thinking the very generic things, especially about picking, like, a creative major where you're like, I'm going to be unemployed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, so, like, I had the Valley Folk. And so it was a nice little, like, I know I have a job. But, like, for I was terrified. I was like, where am I going to live? How am I going to do this like and then especially realizing so late in the game that I wanted to produce I knew that most of me, my producing was going to be outside of school and I didn't have anybody to coddle me and I was like wow it's gonna really suck to make this transition because I'm known for so many other things um and now I want to do this so I think my biggest fears were like ever breaking into a job that I wanted just not being qualified like sometimes especially in Los Angeles a degree ain't it like they see the degree and that might get you past the first round, but it's not going to, it's not going to do anything for you after that. Um, 
I've kind of lost the fear of moving because <laughs> I've done it so much now. Otherwise, that would have been a huge one for me. But like kind of when I got to L.A., I was like, yikes, what am I doing out here? Um, but but even leaving college in L.A. was still hard because it's so expensive. And I was like, how am I going to live a normal, sustainable life in Los Angeles, like doing Internet comedy like that's not going to work out? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I guess my biggest fears are just financial stability, uh, justifying a film degree and, um, you know, like and like figuring out who I am while trying to do that. Like it's 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 hard. It's exhausting. You got to move a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So now that you've been able to make the Atomic Werewolf and, you know, you're working on Starcatcher and you've gotten to pursue some of these projects that you were wanting to do uh, for years. What is your like biggest filmmaking dream, that North Star that you like wake up every day and you like try to inch towards it? Right. So for me, like, that's why I'm so near and dear to Starcatcher, my child. Um, for me, like, it takes form in Starcatcher. It could be something else that I write. But the end game for me is to be like a lead creative producer at a studio working on a show that I I created. So like right now I'm writing um, tirelessly on the first season and I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm trying to animate like a full trailer for it to make it easier. But the the dream is to have someone pick it up like a, stu a small like a network is great, but like a small studio. Phenomenal. Um, and then hire me. Like just to have something that like completely came from my brain, like just put on the screen and then have a team of writers working on it. And I still get to be in the room overseeing it like that. I think that's the dream is to like have my own show, whether I'm the lead writer anymore or not just created by and oversaw like to have my animation picked up my own personal career. I want to I want to make people laugh on my own now. And uh, so this year, like this is more of a small term goal is this year is like I kind of. It's really hard. This is a little, this is a little spin off, but um, so like something I like to talk about a lot when I work with the Valley Folk is I'm so so thankful that I had them to launch my career. But it becomes at one point you start to lose the line between what are who are you creatively and like what do you do for a job. Um, so like I know I I I make their videos like that's so I'm like my a lot of me is in those videos and. Um, but then I, I, this is the first year I've been out of college for a half a year now. And this, this past few months, I've been like, who am I? Like, if the Valley folk disappeared tomorrow, who am I? Um, and I, and I was, so this is the year that I'm, that's why I'm pushing so hard. I shot my own short film. That's, that's all me. Uh, my animation, that's all me. And whatever dumb crap I'm about to post on uh, YouTube, that's going to be all me. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, so yeah, so self-branding is a huge thing that I like to ignore until it's too late. Um, <laughs> right. That's another big thing post-college. You got to figure out who you are and what what what's your shtick, what's your brand. And it took me a long time to figure it out. But um, I guess long-term is to figure out what my brand is and launch a television series. <laughs> gotcha. Well, yeah. I have no doubt you'll be able to achieve both of those things. Um, so <laughs> since you. you have been outside of, uh, or since you have been you know, graduated now for about half a year, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are film students. Um, I'm a SCAD film student. I'm a senior. A bunch of my friends are seniors. And we're all terrified. <laughs> we graduate <laughs> yeah. at the end of May. And, you know, we'll meet up to, like my producers and I, we'll meet up to talk about my thesis. And we'll handle 
thesis topics and then we'll be like, oh, yeah, we graduate in three months. What are we all going to do? You know, it's just a very scary process, as you know. So what advice do you have for those people who are about to graduate and just want to make cool stuff with their friends? Well, yeah, it's it's going to be scary. It's never not going to be scary. I <laughs> right. like I'm 6 months out and I'm nervous all the time, all the time. Um, That's comforting. Yeah, some people don't find what I'm about to say comforting, but I kind of do. It was like nobody knows what they're doing. Literally no one. Employers that I've had don't know what they're doing. No yeah. one knows. <laughs> Um, so there is some solace and like, I, I know that it looks like it. I've watched people graduate before me that like want to be producers and they like landed jobs on features. And like, I was always like, they've got it down. They've got it. Like they know. And then I'd meet up with them for coffee and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like <laughs> you just, like, it, it's, it's so hard, but like, if you love it enough and it's like all you want to do I like am super faithful and like it will work out if you want it enough. And like, I'm not saying go kill yourself trying to make this happen. Like, don't sell out. But (laughs) like, it's going to be really, really hard. But for me, every like hardship I've gone through because of my career has like been worth it. Like if you if you find what you want to do like that, like some people never figure out what they want to do. Some people like go into a job just because they still know they don't want to do. So I was like, I consider myself so lucky to have found something, even if it's insanely difficult that I like I like I love it. And I'm like, at least I have something I want to be chasing. I have something to be stressed about. I have something that scares me. If it scares you that much, it's that good. And it's that worth it. So, like, it's going to be okay. Like, even if you move back in with your parents, it's going to be okay. I think about doing it all the time. (laughs) No shame. Um, Yeah. Just know that, like, typical college, you're going to drop. You're going to do a hard drop of, like, you're going to lose that student bubble and you're going to be terrified. And if you just keep trying like crazy because you love it, like, consider yourself so lucky to love it so much, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that is fantastic advice. And I know that my senior friends will appreciate hearing the reiteration that no one knows what they're doing because I totally agree. (laughs) Here's another little fun fact. Tell them, look at me, and I couldn't even get into SCAD, so they're already doing better. Oh, wow. Gotcha. (laughs) So (laughs) good for them. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll let them (laughs) know for sure. I looked at SCAD for a while. I'm from Indiana. I looked at SCAD. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, Kate, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time after work to sit and talk with me, and I'd love to have you back on whenever you are leading Starcatcher and we're all watching it on HBO or Netflix or whatever. Once I do something cool. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one.